not live from the Verso Studios in the fabulous new Westport Library. It's Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast with me, Trace Burroughs. And hey. Dave Burroughs, is it safe? Yeah, yeah, come on in. Yep. Okay. Stand back. Okay. I'm coming. That's too close. <laughs> okay. So, we're all in this uh, situation. It is, what is it, March something? I'm not quite sure. 7th, 27th. 27th, and, uh, you know, the world is all locked down, and the library shut down, the playhouse is shut down, everything's shut down, there's Westport's vacant. So we're doing this podcast from our bunker just to keep in touch and keep current, and, um, I mean, we're going to, I thought, we're, it's open, both, yeah, you know, yeah. any suggestions you want to make, I, I thought just maybe spend a minute or two on what we're how we're dealing with what's going on for a minute or two. Sure. And then we'll just, I thought it'd be a cool idea to just sort of reminisce about Westport okay. of old. Yeah. To resurrect, you know, what used to Have be. Have you seen those photos on that uh, Facebook page? Old, the old Westport photos. There's a couple of people that have like amazing, oh, really? like it shows post road, main street and the post road at Taylor place. Like before they, where there's trolley cars and this kind of thing. No, I haven't seen that. I mean, I have over time seen different photos, but no, I haven't seen the recent An thing. old Campo Beach before, you know, going to changes going way early yeah. where they had a lifeguard house and they took, you know, tore that down and they had, you know, the place where you go and there's like a little roof that's been there for a long yeah, time. Yeah, the Pavilion. They built picnic tables. They used to be a two-story building. <laughs> so I guess they took the top off of it and put it down. Yeah, there's a lot of changes. Um, and now... You know, it's eerie. You go down, it's just like out of a sci-fi movie. Main Street's vacant, and people have taken pictures of the post road, and you can't see a car for, like, going up, you know, for a mile. Finally. <laughs> yeah, finally. <laughs> I can get that damn parking space in, in front of Ann Taylor's that I've always been. Uh, but what do you, you know, just go briefly, what do you... Well, my life hasn't know? really changed radically. I mean, it's still mm. early that... You know, it's been only like maybe two or three weeks they've closed the clubs. I go out to listen to music on weekends, so I can't do that. But I'm indoors a lot, um, working on creative projects. So, um, you know, it's it's more about the anxiety of going mm. out to buy food and people that aren't like keeping their distance. And there's a lot of, um, you know, areas that they're not... They say that you think you're being protected. Like if you go to a checkout counter, you're really just two feet away from I, the know. checkout counter, <laughs> yeah. you know. And um, so that's so it's basically just the anxiety of having to go out and buy food. Yeah, I think artists, in generalization, have it easier because it's a solitary kind of thing. And at least, yeah, for me and I know you, we're, we're used to working alone and being alone. So it's like. You know, there's really nothing new about it except we just there's certain activities we can't do anymore. Activities, you know, clubs, movies, things. Yeah. But um, I did want to mention we're on iTunes now. Um, this was a long, it shouldn't have been a long process, but uh, anyway. So the our podcast, Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast, is now available on iTunes. If anybody wants to just search, go to iTunes and under their podcast thing category, you can search for us. And there's I think eight or nine episodes up now. And this will be the 10th, so um, that's kind of cool. So we're available globally. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what else did I... Um, so, yeah, what what's your earliest memory of 
to Westport. You know. I guess just going to Campo Beach when I was, I think back then you could walk, so I was eight or nine, mm. maybe I walked to the beach. It was about a mile and a half before people were afraid to let their eight-year-olds walk the streets <laughs> yeah, alone. We are just pushed out of the house. <laughs> right. um, so, you know, walk, going to Campo Beach, buying a hamburger, laying in the sun, you know, looking at the high school girls. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing that was weird about that time was that there was no th- really that much interest in 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 sun prevention, you know, uh, and and you just usually came home with a sunburn, you know, and it would just your back, my back would be just bright red, beet red, and they yeah. just put calamine lotion on it or something, right, or Noxema or something. Yeah, you wouldn't have a, a good judgment, so you yeah. think you wouldn't know till you got home and like all of a sudden you can't touch anything. You're, yeah, beach school. I, I remember being dropped off at beach school, and you're just out all day. Like there was no thing of covering up and wearing sunscreen or. I, I know this is a little off, but I did go to beach school too. Yeah, we had to make little leather belts and stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. So these girl, two girls, I guess they were either ninth graders or sophomores in high school, ran this thing, and they brought all the kids at the end of the day after we made our little things into a room and we, they asked us to take all our clothes off. What? Yeah. <laughs> and and just go, and I said, I don't want to do that. And they said, you can't have the whatever, some special event afterwards. Like, you can't, you've got to go in a room. So they sat in a room and was like looking at a bunch of young children all naked interacting but i wouldn't go in so i went back and told mom and i said they want us to i don't want to do that i don't want to go in that room and she says if you don't feel comfortable with it you don't have to do it and i don't i also said i think i don't want to go back there wow Isn't what, what do you think that yeah what do you think the purpose was or i don't was know just, just... to see how like a science experiment to see how <laughs> naked eight-year-olds would interact i don't know but it's pretty it was today would be like yeah. A major event. It might be a nat- <laughs> national news. Oh my God. <laughs> but, well, Mom, the, this classic story that she told, uh, and it was only after Dad died, and I probably told you, or you, she told you to, anyway, or maybe, that, and this had to do with the swinging. We used to ask her, I think, you know, about the keys. Westport was known for the keys. Uh, oh, yeah, the Swinging key. and key, what are the key you should, parties? You explain where... Yeah. Some people went, no, you know, like yeah. or you'd come to a party and everyone would put their keys in a giant bowl. Right. And then and then at the end, you would just blindly grab keys and whoever they were. So if you're you man, you'd end up with like a random woman or vice versa. And then you're supposed to go home with them. Yeah, right. Whosever car it was, you'd go home with that partner. And I guess supposed to have sex with them. Yeah. And and. I remember mom always claimed, I don't think we ever talked to dad about it, but mom always claimed that just, oh, they, as soon as that st- the bowl came out, they left. You know, yeah, she claimed yeah. They never, and they, right. they left when people went skinny dipping. Parent, and that's the, well, that was her story. That was her story. <laughs> they, they always bailed out before the fun started. But uh, there's one story was they were having a barbecue at the beach with a lot of their friends and couples and mom you know they tend to drink a lot in those days anyway and so mom was getting didn't take much i didn't get her she didn't get crazy she just got sick or headachey or nauseous and so she wandered um looking for the her car dad's car but she found another car that was open and she opened the the back and she crawled in it was a station wagon and she crawled into the back of the station wagon just to curl up and sleep it off or just you know so and the next thing she knows, she hears the car starting. Do you remember that? I you ever tell I you this? Only from what yeah. you told me. So, the, so the the car starts and moves, and she's 
petrified. She has no idea what's going on. And she kind of peeks and she sees who it is, friends of hers. But it's a husband, you know, it's a husband and wife from different couples. So they're obviously... And she's back. There's like a movie. So she's... um, And they end up going to some house, one of their other houses... And mom stays in the car, and 20 minutes later, they come out of the house, yeah. and they drive back to the beach like nothing happened. And mom stayed in the car until they got out, and she waited like five minutes, and then she snuck out of the car. And so she knew this secret about these two, these people from other couples that were had, had their little fun. Yeah. Um, but Westport, you probably had more of a, I mean, there was, you know, there was Bill's Smoke Shop. Well, right. well, yeah, the hangs. I mean, there was Thompson's the- drugstore, which is right where Tiffany's is. Yeah. So when I was in junior high, the thing to do when I was seventh and eighth grade was we're all going to meet at Thompson's drugstore, and basically like a had a, a fun, you know a, they served hamburgers and had little booths. And, oh right. And pick kids would just hang out there. And did they? Sell, I seem to remember Bill. There was always a place that did something secret, or you know, like Bill's Smoke Shop. I think sold fireworks or somebody or the when i was about um eighth grade so a kid had fireworks cherry bombs and all this and i said where do you get those and he turned me on to a secret you know connection and it was a guy right on railroad price railroad station he was a butcher but you had to go in there and say like chris sent me (laughs) i swear and he would go behind and then what do you want i want you know 50 you know, cherry bombs and a and a belt of fireworks, and you and you would just hand you know bring it, yeah. put it in a bag, and you hand them the money. Yeah, I love that kind of little our little version of the underworld, <laughs> yeah. Westport underworld, um, which they just I don't know again on that that one site, uh, old Westport, whatever it's called, about um, uh, the uh, Le Crepe. And, oh, and yeah. Barry Troop and oh, that's a fantastic. And, and upstairs, they the girls so, they, and the, they posted a picture of it, and I mean, it's this real you know sexy drawing of a woman, you know. And they say, and they was very vague with the wording about being a waitress. But anyhow, you know, they had prostit- prostitutes upstairs, and then Barry Troop and sold drugs from there. This is all based. Um, this is not you know on a, yeah on a New Yorker uh, magazine article, and he supposedly laundered um, money for the mafia. So this article came out, Jesus, you know, 35 yeah. years ago or whatever. But to locate LeCrep was were across some Harding funeral home on that corner that's of right, Myrtle yeah. Avenue on the Post Road. Now it's a real estate building. That's right, yeah. But that was LeCrep. I remember LeCrep. And you lived up there, Yeah, right? I lived up there yeah. just when Barry was re- renovating it. I think it cost me $15 a week to live there. That's how cheap things were back back in the old days. And, and did the hookers live up there too? No, not get, until they no, made it look no. great. And he poured so much money in that, like overkill. Like he wanted, you know, weird lighting fixtures and this. I remember he kept, yeah, I kept on hearing about all the money, you know, to transform it into his vision of some kind of French yeah. look crepe place. <laughs> <laughs> Turned into a crap. Look crap, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the, that was a great... Westport thing and the other um, well it wasn't so public but your connection with um, uh, the Waynes um, David Wayne was a I guess you'd say a very I don't know, a B-movie actor maybe I mean I think he had the leads in some movies he played the Mad Hatter in, in, in the Batman series in TV he, he was the lead in Ellery Queen television oh, series right. he was, and he was in another show called Doctors so he, play, he, had a, he was in a bunch of TV series and did characters a character actor his, you know, he's a 
his heyday was really on Broadway. Finian's Rainbow was his height. Like mm, when he wow. did that, it was like he was a national celebrity. And then he did a, a Tea House of the August Moon and a bunch of other plays. And um, someone asked me uh, in eighth grade or seventh grade, actually, I think it was, you know, I was just starting taking drum lessons. I couldn't play. And, I, and he says, well, I know a band. They need a drummer. I said, I, I can't play. He says, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was Timmy Wayne. And um, they had a really beautiful house up on um, East Meadow Lane. And, um, yeah, it was really interesting because his, you know, um, Mr. Wayne was always going off to, to shoots and he was very temperamental, come down in his bathrobe and <laughs> yell at us and to, to shut up and stuff. Uh, but they're very lenient. So they let us, you know, drink over there, like just when I was 12 or 13, oh get drunk. And Mrs. Wayne would never tell our, our parents, like, Right. It happened all the time. Mr. Wayne um, smoked pot back then. We'd sit down on the floor in the living room and he'd tell us these these great Hollywood stories that he went to some party and he looked up Esther Williams' dress and he, <laughs> and he did, you know, this happened and uh, all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and, and his wife, Janie, wasn't it? Jane, Janie was, yeah, who was very sweet. You know. But she was an alcoholic. Alcoholic, right? yeah. And um, one time, his one of his best friends was Larry Hagman from Dallas oh. and I Dream of Jeannie. And um, he used to come to the house naked. <laughs> he, he was a super, you know, Mr. Natural nudist, guy. Like a nudist, and yeah. he was in the pot shirt of a big, like, shopping bag full of pot <laughs> and be naked and go over there and, and you know, be Mr. F free oh person. God. Yeah. Um, and other... And and he had twins. You were in touch with his. I I don't know if I dated. I, a few times you invited me over and yeah. I to to your band rehearsals. Yeah. So I remember and I met Melissa and Susan Wayne, the twin sisters. Right. right? I've kept in touch with yeah. uh, Melinda just still three months ago, like because Susan died. Oh, okay. So, um, but when I went to um, California back in my late twenties, Melinda was very nice and said, "Well, you can st stay here until you get settled." And um, so, you know, one crazy thing that happened was um, Susan took me to some club and I was drinking, she pay, was paying for the drinks. They had a big, you know, they had a lot of money. So I was drinking Remy Martins, which I never had before, and just consuming one after another. And then um, we went to leave. Um, I left the parking lot and my tires of the car went over these spikes, which I didn't realize. Oh. They used to have those in California back then, but I think they they abolished them. And the car went right into a movie theater through the front doors. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Through the front this. Yes. You never heard <laughs> no, this one? No. Yeah, so the, we crashed through the oh doors. I mean, we can go up to the popcorn stand, <laughs> but it was like we crashed through the doors and the glass poured down oh. and people gather and everyone comes out and all of a sudden, you know, I'm at, I'm, I, I felt like I was sober. Obviously, I wasn't, but I, you know, your adrenaline. So yeah, I could. Yeah. So the police come. They have me do all those things. I walk a straight line. Do this. Do that. I could do it all perfectly. And then the policeman gets right in front of my face. I swear, five inches and says, "Breathe on my face." And I had all this brandy, you know. And I breathe on his face, and he says, "I don't smell anything." Um, so. I think Mr. Wayne, he was so pissed off. He, he comes down because the car's got two flat tires or whatever. And he says, fix the flat tire. And I was in shock. And I had yeah. fixed a lot of, I, fix, I have fixed a lot of flat tires. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what the next thing. <laughs> yeah. So some guy on the street, because Californians are really nice. Some guy says, I'll change your tires for you. So he fixes the tires. Then Mr. Wayne says, um, follow me home with Susan's car or whatever. 
And um, I said, I, I can't drive. I don't, I'm too, you know, and it's so embarrassing to have to admit that, you know. And then he he drove me home and her home. and No arrests or anything? No arrests, no nothing. Right. I got out of that. And the only thing was that about two days before when I'd come to California, it was a week before, whatever, mm. Dwayne said, you know, you're one of the family now and all this. After that, they wouldn't have anything to do with me. Um, and their car insurance went up $10,000. <laughs> and Melinda told me this, and I felt like, oh, my God, I have no money, you know. I'm just, And she says, don't worry about it. My mother's going to pay for it. Oh, no, she was sort of the, the, the fixer. Yeah, yeah, the fixer, yeah. But you got arrested with Timmy, though, didn't you? In a I, smoking that's, pot in that's, a tree Yeah, or when I was yeah. 21 or yeah. 20, down at Cranberry Park in, in Norwalk. Mm. There's a big, I don't know what kind of tree it is. It's this huge... Uh, so Timmy says, let's climb up. He always wanted to do odd things. <laughs> so he climb up this tree, and we smoked. and had a joint, yeah. just one joint, and I think there was a, someone had a pipe. The cops came. They searched us. They put their ha- hands through our hair, thinking we were hiding, uh, hiding heroin there. And we, we all got arrested, and, and there was a court case. It was in the news because of Mr. Wayne. It was on the radio mm. and, and all over the place. And... Um, um, I think my, our parents had to hire a lawyer or something, and then they dropped the charges. Uh, I didn't have anything on me. I was just with someone right, who sure. had some pot, and it was a dirty pipe. So that's all we had is one joint's worth of pot and a dirty pipe. Yeah. And uh, back then, you know, well, it was, was common. Scand- a, lot of, a lot of people thought that pot was this, oh, like heroin. Scandalous, yeah. You know, like we were like hardcore. Because I remember at the dinner table, I think I think this is a true memory of, and it was while you were going through this, and it was the big shame on the family. And I think they asked me, and I had been, I was in college at the time, I think. I don't know. But anyway, they kind of boarded out like, well, I know Miggs has never smoked pot. Or they did some kind of thing, and I go, yes, I have. You know, And they were like, I just remember their eyes rolling behind their heads. like. Well, so I started smoking pot early. Timmy's mm. sisters turned us on. So I was starting in seventh or eighth grade. I didn't even know what hot pipe, when they said a pipe, I thought they meant a real pipe, like a plumber's oh, pipe. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what they were talking about. But um, um, so we smoked, every time my parents were out, and they were out quite often, you know, I'd be smoking a pot mm-hmm. with my friends in there. So one day, uh, Ricky comes over, and we're smoking pot, and anyhow, mom and dad come home. Um, th- they smell it. And I was already alive, and like I always had mm. previously, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they And they said, have you been smoking pot? And I and I just said yes. And um, I remember mom and dad were sitting across from each other near the fireplace, and dad was holding his head like it's the most um, uh, horrifying uh, thing. And mom says like, "Look at your dad. Oh, he never thought you would ever smoke pot." You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the sad end, of course, with Timmy is that he sort of vanished, right? Yeah, in the he, wilderness in Alaska. He went yeah. up to um, Yellowknife Lake in Northwest Territory in Canada. And all they found was a tipped-over canoe, and because it was a glacier lake, if you drowned, your body would go to the bottom. And the Waynes went up there to ask. It was very suspicious circumstances. And, um, you know, the, mm. so they never found his body, basically. Yeah. And Malcolm Best, right? Malcolm yeah. was with them. And yeah. Timmy wanted me to go with him on that trip. But I knew they were going to, like, drop acid a lot, and I didn't yeah. drop acid when I was then at that time. So. Well, my brush with celebrity here was... Uh, Terry Knight, I, I get this phone. I had done this logo for a security systems thing called WatchGuard, and uh, it was just local. But um, anyway, so I get this phone call out of the blue in the 70s, I think. Anyway, and it's this guy named Terry Knight, 
and he goes, I have a house in the Bahamas and my, um, and, and my, um, I have a sticker on my window with a logo watch guard sticker. Somebody did my security system and, and, and they said, you did the logo and I'd like you to do some work for me. And I go, yeah, okay. And then I find out Terry Knight is the manager of Grand Funk Railroad and he lives on Charcoal Hill Road at the top in this big, it's not a mansion, but it was which, like. Which was the, one of the biggest bands in, in, oh, yeah. in the country back it, in the right. early they out, 70s. They outsold the Beatles at Shea Stadium. I mean, they were just huge, yeah, at the time. And uh, uh, so he he lived on top of Charcoal Hill Road and he had this beautiful little blonde wife named Pia, who was a, a stewardess he met on a plane. But Terry was doing uh anyway so yeah i would go over there with my i had a partner at the time and he would um have us do these brochures for him he owned a learjet and we did a promotional brochure for the learjet um and he, i went up in the jet and took pictures and i was like this is crazy but uh but then he started getting really bizarre like um he'd say oh it's urgent you have to come over here right away and i so i'd come over i mean i just wanted to please him because he was such a good client and uh, it was just fun being in his house. And uh, he'd say, see this comma? You put this comma, you know, after this word in the paragraph. Could you move it over like, you know, like a, a millimeter of it? Like, what? I mean, I had no, co- I didn't know anything about Coke or whatever drugs he was doing. So this was just insanity to me. And I thought, well, this is just a very fussy client and i have to please him so i would in those days it was not computer it was an exacto blade with a little piece of wax a little piece of wax and i would be slicing like you know infinitesimal little pieces of paper between the 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 comma and the anyway back and forth and he's obsessing about suddenly finally clued me in that this guy is a cokehead and he's whacked and he's that's all he's obsessing on he's you know uh one day he t- he called. I was married at the time, and he called up and said, "Okay, I'm leaving for the Bahamas in a half an hour. Meet me at the airport, you and your wife." And I go, "I I can't. I have work. I can't." Uh, I mean, I sort of half regret it, but because who knows? But not really. He had an island in the Bahamas that he shared with Peter Frampton <laughs> at the time, and he used to take friends there. So that was a missed opportunity, or maybe a missed disaster. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And then you told me, I think. You called me up once. You saw him on on TV on the, uh, behind the music, didn't you? Call me up and say on VH1 behind the music. Well, he had a band. I mean, before he became a manager, yeah. what was the name of that band? He was well, Terry in? Knight in the Pack, and they had a hit. But, but, yeah, but I don't know. No, I think well, I, it could be a false memory. Yeah. But I, somebody called me up and said, "Turn on VH1 behind," and I turned it on, and there's an interview with Terry Knight. And he was a handsome guy. He had a kind of a big nose made for Coke because he, <laughs> he had huge nostrils and a big nose, but he was very handsome. Yeah. And he had, you know, and, and that was, uh, he and he was fit and, you know, and, you know, and he must have, in the thing, he must have weighed 300 pounds. I mean, he was just this, like, behemoth. And he died. He was stabbed to death. So the story goes, yeah, yeah ultimately, he his daughter was living with him and, uh, and she was in an abusive relationship with a boyfriend. Anyway, he comes home and finds the boyfriend beating up his daughter. And he gets in the middle, tries to break it up, and the boyfriend stabs Terry Knight to death. Crazy. Uh, so, oh, well, the other thing, back yeah. rewind, is that at one point... So he bought a few of... I was doing these pop art paintings at the time. And he bought a few of them. And... And... and uh I get this note on my door. I lived in this little tenement-like thing down in Westport. And uh, 
It's from Terry Knight saying, can I borrow $100 or sell you your painting back? Oh, weird. So I'm going, what? And so I call. I knew a friend of his, this woman that knew him locally. And she said, oh, don't you know? He's like, he burned through all his money with drugs. He's got, He sold his planes, his limousine company. He's like, he has no money. He's like, he's desperate. He's just, don't give him the money because he'll just buy drugs with it. So the downfall of this guy from being... He once told me the loneliest experience in his life was he went out, he introduced Grand Funk at Shea Stadium, and he walked out onto the stage, and there's 80,000 people or whatever at Shea Stadium on their feet, cheering, chanting, Grand Funk, Grand Funk, and he makes this thing and introduces Grand Funk, and he goes back into his dressing room all alone with a tray of, you know, <laughs> food, and he's all alone. And here he is, 80,000 people chanting, and he made this group, he created Grand Funk, and he had no wife or girlfriend at the time, and he just that was the saddest time of his life, oh. and uh, and he died in a wow. horrible way. You think he'd be like super, like wow, I made you know, look what I've accomplished. Yeah, yeah you, I know, but uh, I don't know if it was just too much success too soon, or the drugs thing became a. And then his wife divorced him eventually, little Pia, um, and. Uh, Oh, he was racing with Paul Newman for a while. He joined he, when he had money. He was doing. He got his way. He was on Paul Newman's racing team. Yeah, I mean, he just sort of money just bought his way in. Any any other? We have like five minutes, four minutes <laughs> left. Any other Westward highlights? Like Westward G's. Some of these stories are a little like. Um, um, we could talk mention the John Fuller thing in the tape. Oh, yeah. So we were neighbors when we lived at home, and one of our neighbors was John G. Fuller, who wrote these books usually on the paranormal kind of stuff. And one was, I don't know if it was Incident at Exeter? Yeah. Or one, yeah, okay. And what do you... And so it was about the one of the first um, documented um, abduct, alien abductions. It was, this is back again, I don't know, late 60s, mid-60s, right. something. So he's writing this, but he, he comes over to our house because he lived next door, my parents' house, and he says, you've got to listen to this tape. So he plays this tape of Barney and Betty Hill. Those are the two people that were abducted. Right. Interracial couple. Right. Not the, but that was a, you, in those days. That was a big deal. 60s, yeah. yeah. So, but he, uh, so he plays this tape, and they're under hypnosis talking about being touched by the aliens, and they're screaming. Oh, yeah. I've never heard Bloody in my life. Murder. Screaming, so it distorted the microphone. Like, don't touch me, don't touch me, and all this. So, it was very d- disturbing to hear that. <laughs> and we yeah. were always, ne- you know, we were always exiled to our rooms. We weren't allowed to mix with company or anything. But I remember we just heard the screaming from our rooms, as I remember it. And it was the tape, mm. but and it was frightening because we didn't. It was yeah, it was like somebody being murdered. And they explained to us later that he had the real tapes. And his second wife, Elizabeth Fuller, which you give credit to, has written uh, a play about it, um, you know, based on that, in, uh, reenacting that whole uh, incident of, of the hypnosis, Barney and Betty Hill's hypnosis and the tapes. And, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty scary. Yeah, they... Our parents are... He shot a thing for a candid camera once, too. Oh, he did? Because he could shoot, you know, he's a filmmaker a, oh, right. a book an author he could do different things i remember when a candid camera came to westport at the bowling alley they did a, oh, they did? a stunt oh, yeah and he and he shot it he he oh. shot for them so 
what grew, Westport had a lot of well with the Players Tavern. There isn't time to go through them all, but there was so many group. I, the Players, Ramones. I saw the Ramones at the Players Tavern. The James Cotton Blues Band. Uh, Guy from the Mamas and Papas. Uh, yeah, uh, um, Denny Doherty, I think. Yeah, you're um, right. Yeah, and uh, I actually went to a Charlie Carps band played a lot. Oh, Charlie there. Carps band played a lot, and you were in. Can you just rattle off the names of the bands you were in? <laughs> we have time. The, the Rogue, <laughs> the Rogues, the Sticks, the Bad Aussies, Circus. Um, you, and you were the original Sticks, not the right. Sticks. This is not. This is yeah. this is like eight years before the famous Sticks. Um, um, and you were wearing, doing punk things. I don't think the word punk had even existed, but you were wearing dog collars, spiked dog collars, yeah. and weird stuff before any of that. The funny thing is, is the, so I made this little mm-hmm. demo record. It was like a punk song. You had it printed you know, on a little mm-hmm. 45. And you know, we, our band never really you know, took off, but I found online, it's, it's probably still there, yeah. people don't know who, who the band was, $85 for the bold one. Really? Yeah. This guy selling that. I was going to email him. I said, I'll let him have it. Who cares? You know, let I love that song, the bold one. Yeah. yeah. That was Rick, Ricky singing sang yeah. lead on that. Yeah. Oh, that was the other thing that Terry Knight did at the time, I guess, quickly. He he was very nice. So I went to California, maybe to visit you or something. I don't know. It was with my wife when we went to we won a vacation. And I told Terry, I'm going to California. And he hooked me up with all these A&R people at all the major record companies, and I played the bold, I had a, made a little tape of your band, mm. your guys' band, I don't know which one it was at the time, but and, mm. and I played it for these A&R people, like major, you know, um, anyway, it was re- not, none of it was accepted, but it was cool being in that situation. Yeah. Um, but what I realized is they listened... <laughs> Whoa! What the heck? The ship just came. Time's in. up. Well, anyway, they listen. <laughs> they listen for ten seconds and go. Oh no! Thanks for coming, but we're not yeah. interested. Anyway, time's up. Maybe we'll do another one of these. And so much more Westport stories. We just thought it'd be nice to reminisce on the nice things about Westport. So uh, take care until next time. Bye.